Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight we're, we're going to continue looking at truth for life. We've been looking at the creeds and confessions of the faith because the creeds and confessions, uh, they're, they're just good summaries of what Scripture says. You know, we take the we, we take the important matters of our belief and summarize them in these creeds and, and confessions. And, and the reason why we're, we're doing this, and the reason that it is so needed in this day, is because there are so many that are claiming a form of Christianity, but they're deviating from the truth that was handed down to us 2,000 years ago. And so, you know, we want to be just like, you know, what Jude called... Um, you know, Jude had, uh, to the people that he had written to, uh, said, you know, well, I was going to write to you about the common faith that we have, but now I need to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, because there are people who have crept in unnoticed, who, whose condemnation was foretold a long time ago, but they come in and they turn the grace of our God into immorality, and they deny the only Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're, they're twisting everything. They're coming in and perverting uh, everything. And so there's all these false forms of Christianity who are worshiping a different God, who are seeking a different Savior, and they do not have the Holy Spirit. They're filled with a completely different spirit. And many have fallen victim to their false teachings. And I want to make sure that we are not among those. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, so we can live in the truth and these creeds and confessions kind of offer us a guardrail to keep us on track of what the Bible says about key components of our faith. Um, and, you know, but the creeds and confessions are only as good as they rightly teach what the Bible says. The Bible obviously is our final authority for everything. And ever since I started this series, we've been stuck on the Apostles' Creed um, just because it's one of the most simple uh, creeds and confessions that there is out there. Obviously, there's a whole lot more to our belief system than what the Apostles' Creed touches upon. But what is given here is the bare minimum. And if you believe anything less than what uh, this says, you know, you've got to believe what this says to be orthodox, to be Bible-believing uh, Christians. So let me read the Apostles' Creed. You know, and it includes reading, reading it rightly, what it says about, you know, that whole, he descended into hell, and I explained that that one week, you know, that, that means descending to the grave, that he actually did die. Um, and then, you know, last week, you know, we, I talked about there's that phrase, the ho you know, the Holy Catholic Church. It's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, it's talking about the universal church, using the word Catholic in its most general terms. So, you know, you've got to read this rightly to, to understand, but this is what the Apostles' Creed says. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, or the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen and amen. Now this creed is split into three different sections, each section corresponding with one member of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, the Trinity, we know it's true from Scripture. God the Father is called God, God the Son is called God, God the Holy Spirit is called God. And each person within this Trinity shares the same nature, essence, and character, and yet each is unique in roles and relationships to one another. And so, something though that we might not consider at times is how they, they work together in the grand scheme of redemption and the plans that we have, because we have a tendency to place certain things at the feet at, of one member of the Trinity for a certain role maybe, but then we don't consider how well the others were there and have their part as well. Again, not saying there's three gods. There's one Godhead, three persons within the one Godhead. Um, but maybe the creed itself uh, does not help in this area because, you know, it, it divides certain things certain ways. But, you know, that just because, okay, you know, it says God the Father did this, Jesus did that, the Holy Spirit did this, it doesn't mean that the other members of the Trinity were not there. They work in tandem. They are a triune Godhead. So, for example, the creed starts out talking about God the Father and describing him as the creator of the heavens and the earth. God the Father did that. In the beginning, God. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we think of God the Father. But Genesis chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and John chapter 1 always correspond with Genesis chapter 1. They always start right there at the beginning of, of a book, I guess. But those Genesis 1, Colossians 1, John 1 tell us how the Son and the Spirit were also a part of creation. You know, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 talks about the Spirit was hovering over the waters. The Spirit was there. And if you consider that, you know, God spoke everything into existence, who is the Word of God? Well, Jesus. Colossians 1 delves more into that. John chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that this Son, this Word, who was with God and is God, says that all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together in creation. Or consider Christ's birth. It was God's decree that the Son should become human. It was the Holy Spirit that conceived the child, and it was the Son of God who was born. Well, now we're in this section about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, last week I talked about how the Holy Spirit birthed and formed the Church of Christ, God's assembly of believers, throughout the ages. And, uh, you know, there again, you see the Trinity at work. These are God's people through the work of Christ. Christ founded the church, but the Holy Spirit birthed the church and made the church a reality. Well, the rest of the works that are listed in the Apostles' Creed, they're listed under the Holy Spirit. But obviously, the entire triune God was involved. And honestly, we, we don't normally associate these works with the Holy Spirit 
But it's the Holy Spirit that makes these truths a reality in our lives. So first, in, in, in this section that I haven't you know, touched upon yet, you, you see that the creed says, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Because that is man's greatest need. We all need that. We, we, we got to hoop and holler and shout about that. That there is forgiveness of sins. This is humanity's greatest need. And the entire Bible is about God's work of redeeming mankind, bringing them back to himself. Because it, everyone needs it. Humanity was created perfect, but they willingly rebelled against God, and that cursed and condemned the entire human race. And we can see that born throughout Scripture, the way that Scripture reminds us constantly that everyone is a sinner. We're, we're familiar with Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The end, Psalm 143.2, at the end of it, it says that no one living is righteous before you. There's no one who's righteous. Paul goes into greater theological detail in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where he wrote, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Boy, there's, there's a whole lot of positive there. Here we are under Satan, walking in under his power. We are dead. We are, you know, we, we're, all we did was live for the passions of the flesh, and were nature, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All of mankind was under that. Sin condemns us and we all have it so our greatest need is forgiveness the 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 lifting off the you know lifting of the burden of the power of sin the penalty of sin and eventually the presence of sin and there was nothing that humanity could do could do about it we could not get out from the condemnation of our sin but we know the good news of the gospel god the father sent the son who became human he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, he rose again. And so now we know God, the Father, sent the Son. The Son is the one who was born, who lived, who taught, who ministered, who died, who rose again. All who believe in him are saved. We know that the Son is the Savior. And so we understand God the Father's role of making the plan. We understand God the Son's role of fulfilling the plan. But what does the Holy Spirit have to do with the forgiveness of sins? What does the Holy Spirit have to do with salvation? We don't ever th really think about that. But it's the Holy Spirit that, that makes salvation a reality in our life. The Holy Spirit applies salvation to the believer. As uh, theologian David Garner summarized, he wrote this, this great truth. He said, salvation is purposed by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit's agency in salvation, all that Christ has accomplished brings no value to us. As Scripture uniformly presents, 
the Spirit graciously, effectively, and permanently gives us Christ Jesus and every blessing that he has secured. Our salvation is in Christ alone. Our salvation is by his Spirit alone. And so salvation is in Christ. It's applied to us, you know, by the Spirit. He notes something that uh, John Calvin affirmed uh, years, you know, many hundreds of years ago. Calvin said that the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. And it must be so, for as long as Christ remains outside of us, we are separated from him. All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. But the Holy Spirit ministers across the ages, bringing Christ and his salvation to those living before and after his redemptive work. There is no salvation apart from the Father's election, the Son's humiliation and exaltation, and that's very true, yet no one enjoys the benefits of Christ's saving life, death, and resurrection apart from the Holy Spirit. He is the vital bonding agent, the glue of the gospel, securing sinners immediately and permanently to Christ Jesus or as he's described elsewhere by Paul and others. You know, he is, he's the deposit. I mean, he, he affects it in us, and he is the deposit of the truths that it holds. So exactly how does the Holy Spirit work through the gospel in the life of a believer to make Christ's salvation effective, effectual in their lives? Well, first, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 8, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and convicts people of their need of a Savior. And then when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ being convicted, and then believing in the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's preached to them, the Holy Spirit then applies salvation through Christ based on that belief. The Word says that the Spirit applies our justification. And what justification means is that Christ's righteousness is given to us and we have a right standing before God. God looks at us and He's like, well, you have a right standing before me. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. But it's the Holy Spirit that applies that so for example in 1 corinthians 6 11 you know he he lists all these sins beforehand and and then in in verse 11 he says such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ by the spirit of our god so we're justified in the name we're justified by the spirit but not only does the Spirit justify, He also sanctifies. And what sanctification means is that the new life that we have in Christ is formed within us by the Spirit over time. It's a process. The Holy Spirit takes that salvation and makes it a reality in our life and throughout our life makes us more holy, makes us more like Christ. And it's a process. So we, we know the truth that we're made new, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then the Holy Spirit works within us so that we are less and less like the world. We're less, we live less and less for the flesh, and we become more like Christ by that Spirit. Paul describes this reality in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. He talks about putting off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the Spirit by your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's the Spirit that renews us. It's the Spirit that renews our minds. It's the Spirit that renews our passions. It's the Spirit that renews our thinking. It's the Spirit that puts the new self within us, that who we are in Christ. And so we're told because of that work of the Spirit and now by the power of the Holy Spirit, we walk that way. That's the way we're supposed to walk. Paul said in Galatians 5.16, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so the Holy Spirit applies justification, gives us Christ's righteousness, but then also sanctification. And there, there is a difference between the two. One, one author made the distinction this way. Justification is an instantaneous act of God, the results of which, however, endure forever, unless one proves a traitor to God, meaning you never were a believer to begin with. So justification is instantaneous. You believe in Jesus Christ, you're justified. You stand before God the Father justified through Christ. But now sanctification, on the contrary, is a lifelong process. Justification is a declaration of God concerning man's relationship to him. Sanctification is a movement within man, prompted and furthered by the Holy Spirit, changing his character. Justification is based on what Christ has done for us. Sanctification is what Christ, through the Spirit, does in us. So we need both. So we believe in the forgiveness of sins and that it is the Holy Spirit that applies that to us. God the Father planned it. Jesus the Son fulfilled it. The Holy Spirit applies it. But now the, the rest of the Apostles' Creed, it ends with the results of the forgiveness of sins. Because of the forgiveness of sins, we believe in the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. What, what Jesus accomplished and what the Spirit applies leads to us having eternal life, and that includes our eventual resurrection from the dead. Those whose sins are forgiven through Christ will be physically resurrected just like Jesus was. Jesus was bodily, physically resurrected. Believers will be as well. And, and the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us it was the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead and he will do the same for our bodies at Christ's return so for example Paul tells us in Romans 8 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you the Holy Spirit will bring our bodies back to life. And we're told about this resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. Just so we don't misunderstand, it's not that we're going to 
get back, you know, when we're raised, we're not going to have these old rotten bodies again that ache and, you know, I, I get up in the morning and I'm, I'm Rice Krispies because I'm snap, crackle, pop all over the place, you know? No. This is what it, Paul says is about the resurrection that the Spirit is going to bring to us. So it, it, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body, because if there's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. So that means death doesn't have the final say. Christ defeated death, and all those who belong to him will do the same. And so we possess what we call eternal life. And eternal life isn't just having life forever. Because when you think about it, unbelievers, in a sense, are going to have life forever. They're going to exist for eternity. But they sure don't have eternal life. I mean, eternal life also is talking about the quality, what the life we have through Christ. We have true life because we're united with the one who is life. He gives life and he is life. Right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John says of Jesus in John chapter 1, in him was life and the life was the light of men. I mean, in G Jesus is life. And if you're united with him, you have true life. What really living is, is about. And so we, we, in the here and now, we have eternal life. Not just then, you know, we think of eternal life. Oh, that's forever. Way back, or, you know, many years from now. Back then, you know, whenever I die, whatever. You know, eternal life is thousands of years from now. We have eternal life right now. Now, we might not live it out perfectly, but again, the Holy Spirit applies it to our life. And so we find in Galatians 6, 8, the one who sows in the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Jesus himself said in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. The Spirit is the one that applies eternal life. Yes, it means being with God forever, millions of years from now. It means, you know, um, I guess what David said in Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, it does mean that. It means living in the new heaven and new earth, in a new body, completely free from sin. But eternal life is also a quality of life we live now. We possess now, although in part, not in full. We have life because we are united to the one who is life. But now, that means that those who are not united with Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who have not experienced the forgiveness of sins, they do not have eternal life. They'll be raised, but they will be raised to eternal death. You read Paul, you read Revelation, they, they talk about that 
there's the resurrection of the believer. There is the raising of the unbeliever. They're given a body as well. But they're given a body created for eternal destruction. They will be ever dying without actually dying. That's the second death. They don't cease to exist. I know there's teachers, preachers out there that say that they're annihilated. Nowhere is that found in Scripture. That's why it's important to spread the good news of the gospel. Because that's what they are facing. And so we share, but we pray that the Holy Spirit, the one who applies salvation, will first start his work of conviction in their hearts. Convict them of sin. You're not going to get someone to see their need for Christ if they don't actually see they have a need. And the Holy Spirit is the one that prompts them and pokes them and convicts them. Now they can, they can, if you want to say turn a blind eye or stuff their ears, make themselves deaf to the move, you know, to what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. But that's the Holy Spirit's work and we can't, we can't do that. And so all we can do, we, we praise God for what he has given us through the gospel applied by the Holy Spirit. We praise God that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, but we pray to God that by his Holy Spirit he will convict sinners and bring them to repentance and faith. And we need to do a whole lot of praying because guess what? There's a whole lot of lost out there. And there's a whole lot of lost out there that are claiming to be Christian. That's the thing. They're disobeying the word of God, but I'm a Christian. They are blatantly throwing sin in the face of God, but I'm a Christian. Again, Jude, there are those who have, well, in his day, they snuck in, is what the word says. In our day, they don't even try and sneak in. They're just blat all blatant out there with their sin. But they have turned the grace of God into licentiousness, immorality, whatever your translation might say, and they deny that Jesus is master and Lord, meaning that he's in charge and he's the one that sets the standards. They think Jesus is their buddy. They think Jesus is their pal. They think Jesus is a great teacher. They think he may have even been a prophet. They think Jesus is, I don't know what a current saying is, so I'll just say the cat's meow. He's the coolest. Jesus is the best thing since sliced bread. But he is not Savior and Lord. 
May the Holy Spirit convict them of that. We want to pray for their conviction. We want to pray that we stay strong in the true faith. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.